I'm a frog. Welcome, everyone. It is Monday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and it sounds like you got something going on there. You got yourself a little cold there, buddy. No, I do not. I do not have a cold. Um, I was partaking in the cannabis, so no, no, no worries. Yeah, well, guess you could all use a little bit of that these days. Why are we here well, tonight? I did, I did a visit out to the cannabis farm that I stayed on last year. How did that go? Uh, yeah, it was really nice visiting with those guys again, and I was able to procure provisions. <laughs> Much provisions. Is that, it's like a form of trade of some kind? Is that basically what that means? Uh, well, it's me paying money for cannabis, if that's what you want to call trade. I, I, no, I would no. call it, but it's organic, local grown, like know the farmer cannabis. It's really good. That's why. Well, I just came back from another networking event, but, you know, it's uh, it's always good to meet new people. And, you know, surprisingly, uh, it's not that hard to engage in political conversation it's really not um especially in bathing suits especially in bathing suits with apparently you were at some sort of like bathing suit event uh that was on saturday um i just came back from another networking event hey look i'm trying to try to be a man of the people what can i say i'm not even a damn candidate and i'm out there as much as uh, as if i was running for something you're a surrogate you're a surrogate of candidates yeah well you know you got to do what you can to help support the uh the community as best you can just be as, uh, you know, involved as you can be. And, um, you know, there's obviously so much to talk about, but of course we do not want to let our guests wait. We can always talk after the fact because there will be plenty to discuss this evening, but as many of you know, uh, you know, when Jen ran for Congress in 2020 against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, trickery that the democratic party establishment will employ in order to prevent a democratic process from taking place. And so as a result, uh, the more people have ventured into the political realm, the more they've discovered just how systemic this problem really is. And as many of you have known recently, uh, two very noted candidates who are running for office have been met with a stonewall from the Democratic establishment, whether that would be a candidate running within the Democratic Party or a candidate running outside of the Democratic Party. They will do what they have to do in order to protect the status quo. So while everybody is up in arms, and rightfully so in many instances, about the activities of the GOP and what they do in terms of voter suppression, the Democratic Party basically does the same thing. They just do it in a different way. And so without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome back two wonderful guests to our show who are now going to be as part of this panel, which is gonna be about election integrity and how it really doesn't matter whether you're in the party or not, they're going to come after you no matter what. So without further ado, Maude Herezi and Matthew Ho, welcome back to Generational Change. Thanks for having uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to see you. No, you guys are definitely like in the thick of the fight for, you know, I mean, people don't realize how this really works, right? Like, you know, they think that it's a GOP problem. And if we just, if we would just, you know, vote blue and stand up to the GOP, everything would be fine. But it, I, I seem to find that the Democrats, as far as how they treat within their own party, 
are much more problematic and much less democratic than the Republican Party seems to be. Uh, and you guys are prime examples of that. And we always hear people bitching one way or the other of you can't run as a Democrat. You got to run third party or don't waste your time running as third party. You have to run as a Democrat. And you guys are prime examples that regardless of what you do, the Democratic Party is not our friend. So I think that that's very telling. And um, I, I appreciate it. It's like this is like a really good like social study right here. Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty shocked. Uh, so uh, the common narrative out there is uh, the Democrats are the good guys on uh, on voting rights, uh, on democracy, on protecting, preserving it, uh, and you know there's the bad guys of the GOP. Uh, and what I found in Connecticut is that it is uh, just uh, almost insurmountable to get onto the ballot. And what shocked me, and, and I'm somebody who's a politico and, and loves politics, but I had no idea that this was the case. But there's never been a primary against a sitting U.S. House member in state history, the only state with that streak in the in the nation. So in our several hundred year history, there has never been a primary against a sitting uh, Republican or Democratic incumbent. Uh, and so most people, when they see that, their eyes, you know, just uh, are bulging out of their head because, you know, the instinct is, well, how do you challenge an incumbent then, especially in a strongly Democratic or Republican district? Uh, that means you're stuck with one party rule. Uh, that doesn't sound like democracy and doesn't sound like, you know, the America uh, we all believe should be uh, kind of that, that, that the reality that we should have in this country. And so uh, th that that's the taste uh, of democracy that I'm getting right now. And it's a bitter taste. And uh, I'm trying to, to make sure that uh, that this isn't the future that anyone else has to deal with. And we're challenging these ballot laws in, in court. And uh, we'll find out what happens actually this week uh, by Friday, whether the judge will rule that the laws are unconstitutional. Uh, and uh, we're we're, uh, we're we're hopeful that uh, we're able to open up these ballots so that people have the same represents them. Yeah, Matt, get in there. Yeah, it, it's um, you know a lot of this was expected what we're going through here in North Carolina, but some of the brazenness of it and the um, aspects of almost like you know Hollywood type stuff. Our lawyer was in court the other day and the Democratic Party has sent down the Elias Law Group to fight us, which is the biggest law firm the Democrats have. Mark Elias, arguably the most prominent Democratic attorney in the country, heads the firm. And, you know, our, our attorney was telling us that like it was like a scene out of a movie, like eight or nine attorneys walk in in their twenty five hundred dollar, three thousand dollar suits with their Gucci shoes and their two hundred fifty dollar haircuts or whatever. And, you know, that's what we're up against. We're up against uh, Leviathan. You know, if you will. And the idea that um, they were ever going to allow something like this to happen, whether here in North Carolina or in Connecticut, they're going to do everything they can. And that's just the way they maintain power. And, and, and certainly it, it's throughout the country. You've seen the Democratic Party do this and the Republican Party is just as bad in other parts of the country. But say what happened in, in what happened this past year in New York, where the Democratic Party, uh, unless you were. Um, a party that was aligned uh, like the Working Families Party is with the Democratic Party, um, uh, unless you're a party that, that's aligned, that, that crosses, the, uh, you know, that kind of has a fusion situation, uh, you know, and cross, uh, cross shares on the ballot. Um, like six or seven parties in New York were stripped from the ballot this year, you know, and parties that had access for decades were stripped. You know, and we've seen this play out throughout uh, the country, whether it be in Pennsylvania Montana, Wisconsin, where the Democratic Party has done these things. And like I said, it's just not the Democratic Party. It's the whole system. The idea is that it, it seeks to protect itself. 
And that's why we're in these situations, because they're going to do everything they can, can to maintain their power. And when we have systems where, you know, basically what is occurring, the political party in power is allowed to choose, is allowed to choose its opposition. This is the circumstances we get. And note it's happening in a red state and a blue state simultaneously that you guys are both dealing with this. So that's neither here nor there as to who is responsible for your state legislature. The issue is this is partisan. This is party stuff. And people need to be aware that this is happening in supposedly the Democratic Party. Right. And it will happen anywhere. That's the whole thing. If it, yeah. it, it, it's just we've got a uh, look, we've got a, a, a red legislature. We've got a, a blue governor, though, Roy Cooper, who keeps showing up on these lists for presidential possibilities in 2024, 2028. And we have evidence that it was his office that colluded with the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the DSCC and the Elias Law Group in the very beginning of all this, going back a couple of months to make sure we were on the ballot. And that's one of the things we're bringing forward in our lawsuit is this political interference by a supposedly nonpartisan executive agency of the government. And so it is. It's this idea that that on their whim, they are allowed to do these things. And we can get into all, we can unpack this a hundred different ways, right? But really it comes back to their smugness, their arrogance of power. And why they do this is to protect the money that's coming into them. I mean, hopefully it always comes back to the money. And we see that in our case. And I'm sure you see it up in Connecticut, right? You know, it's always about the money. It's absolutely about. Uh, I would go even, you know, a step before money. It's it's about power, which I think money oftentimes resembles. And mm. uh, there's there's so many things that when you learn about what's happening right here in our district in our state, that just boggles the mind. Uh, so we have the longest serving member of Congress without a primary in the entire country, uh, who I'm challenging, Mr. John Larson, 24 years since 1998, he's never faced a primary. We have the fact that there's never been a primary against a sitting U.S. House member in state history, uh, and that is shocking. Uh, we have the lowest primary rates out of any state in the country when you look at all offices, whether it's your planning and zoning, your mayor, uh, or y- your governor. Uh, and, 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 you know, the question is to me is like, why were these ballot access laws ever even put into place? Because in theory, it's to stop, you know, the lawyers will say when they go to court, it's to stop chaos from rising on the ballot. I've never gone to vote and said, I can't differentiate who's on the ballot. It's so confusing. There's 300 candidates. Like how, you know, somebody needs to do something about this. It seems like they created, you know, a solution in search of a problem that didn't exist. And it, it seems, uh, you know, a little too coincidental that solutions tends to keep people in power uh, and makes everything less competitive and less democratic. Uh, and the America that I know and I think that so many people want to believe is the one that exists is one based on uh, merit in, in competition. And so uh, we should let people on the ballot, let them discuss the ideas, whether it's Green Party, Tea Party, Democratic, Republican, uh, and whoever has the best ideas will win. Uh, and I'm confident that in my race, it's myself. And I think that's why uh, they're so afraid uh, that we'll be able to unseat uh, a Democrat who's the fifth highest recipient of core PAC money out of all the House Democrats, uh, somebody who has uh, been entrenched for decades now and has represented the, the most of the insurance companies that are headquartered here in Connecticut and Raytheon that has a large presence in the defense contractors in Wall Street that you know tends to funnel a lot of money to his campaigns. Uh, and so... Uh, Voters here literally have no idea of what's been happening, uh, but uh, I think when, when they hear about it, they start to understand uh, why it is that Connecticut is literally nicknamed the land of steady habits. Uh, we we don't challenge the status quo here, and when I say we, it's, it's those in, in power don't allow that to happen. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really scary issue when you start thinking about it, uh, that, say, Cori Bush, uh, Yana Presley, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would have never gotten on the ballot in Connecticut. 
that these really powerful members of Congress would have never even had an opportunity to make their case on Election Day. Uh, so that's the reality that voters are facing in Connecticut. And uh, I'm confident that if we don't get these ballot access laws changed here this cycle, that at some point they're going to be changed in the near future because it's just you know mind-boggling, flabbergasting, uh, inexcusable that this is happening uh, in liberal Democratic Connecticut, one of the most right. liberal states in the country. And so uh, we, we're pushing an awareness campaign, an education campaign, and uh, these people who work in the state legislature will not be able to answer the questions that their constituents are bringing up to them now, which is why are these ballot access laws uh, in place Right. And, you know, it's also disingenuous and so suspicious, right, you know, with this argument about ballot confusion, which is what we hear a lot that as if we go into a restaurant, right, and you get confused because there's six or seven things on the menu. You can't make a decision. I mean, the whole argument is silly, but you look at other countries and you look at, say, the United Kingdom or Australia, where you need 10 signatures to be on the ballot. You know, in in Canada, it's like 100 uh, I think Germany has the most in Europe and it's 200 maybe, you know, I mean, like it, 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 and these countries aren't falling apart because their ballots are overwhelmed with, you know, uh, too many choices. So it is it, it's this continual uh, these these myths, these 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 false statements, you know, these these uh, uh, seemingly compelling arguments that are meant to protect the population from the chaos of too much democracy. And of course, that's something that goes back, you know, hundreds of years in this country. We can't let the people have too much freedom. We can't let the people have too much democracy. Otherwise, you know, uh, things will get upset. And by upset, as we were talking about, the power and the money structure will be upturned. I think, though, that if I ever walked into a voting booth and I had a menu the size of like Cheesecake Factory's menu, I think I would like my mind would explode. So I, you know, I mean, it's nice to have options, but, you know. We, we, people are not equipped to deal with something huge. That is the truth. I mean, they're just not, they don't research. They just pick the top name. Yeah. And so there is, there is validity to the theory of the argument, which is that you don't want to go to a ballot and have a cheesecake uh, factory menu. Right. you. And so, uh, but we've never really had that problem and there's ways yeah. around it. You know, yeah. putting, essentially you don't want anyone to get on the ballot by like tweeting at the secretary of state, put me on the ballot. That'd be too easy. <laughs> Then you might have, you know, a thousand people on your ballot. But if you put a reasonable hurdle that essentially says you have to put in some effort to show you're serious, uh, then that's fine. And w- one of the things that that really it, it just, you know, once again, shows how uh, kind of um, how kind of hollow these, these uh, reasons are. So almost every state uh, in this, I believe the Supreme Court has ruled that you can't make money in requirement because if there's indigent candidates, then they they can't get on the ballot. Essentially, you're creating a a, uh, a poverty test that they can't pass. But collecting signatures uh, costs money because you yeah. got to pay for gas. Your volunteers need to take time off of work. Uh, they need to uh, you know buy pens and clipboards. So, and especially if you need thousands of signatures, you know you don't need twenty or forty. You need you need thousands. Uh, so. Why is it that, you know, the Supreme Court has ruled you can't have a poverty test, but then essentially they did a workaround, which is you have to raise now thousands of dollars or be really rich yourself. Uh, for us, it cost $20,000 just to put it up the effort that we did uh, to, report, right. to collect about 5,000 signatures. And, um, you know, I couldn't put that money up myself. I had to spend a lot of time fundraising. But uh, I think we all agree you shouldn't have a poverty test or a wealth test to get on the ballot. And that's essentially what these laws are also doing is creating this threshold of wealth or fundraising that you need. Uh, I'd rather have a system where uh, there's some other form of, of measure uh, to see if a candidate is serious. Uh, that doesn't require so much uh, effort and time. And, and so it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's really hollow that 
the kind of the reason that they give as to why these ballot access laws need to be in place, in my opinion. We're speaking with Maude Herezi, running for the U.S. Congress on the Democratic Party ticket in Connecticut's first congressional district, and Matthew Ho, who is running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina on the Green Party ticket. You know, the more that these circumstances come to light when we talk about voter suppression, ballot access removal, uh, the more it shines a very bright light on the nefarious activities that the parties try to employ. I think there's two different ways to look at this. Um, propaganda is very strong. Um, I like to point out the poll that I saw a few months back where they said that the average Republican voter trusts corporate media less than 30 percent, average independent voter trusts corporate media just over 30 percent, and the average Democratic voter trusts corporate media just under 80 percent. And when the numbers are so un- egregiously bad, uh, when, it, when there's that big of a gap, Um, that's when I think you can see just how effective propaganda is because even on social media, when you present this to them and say, this is what's happening, they look at it and say, yeah, it sucks, but the GOP's worse, so it's okay with me. And I think the fact that there is sort of this consensus of, yeah, it's too bad that this is happening, but I'll accept it because my side is going to benefit as a result. We saw this happen to the Green Party candidate in 2020 in Wisconsin. I'm wondering what your guys' experiences has been reaching the electorate in regards to whether they see this as a real impediment to progress and they're willing to say, yeah, this is not good and we have to do something about it. You know, when we were out petitioning and um, and we got more than 22 and a half thousand signatures and, and, and we talked to tens of thousands of people and we were at festivals and concerts and all kinds of places to get these signatures. So we did not run into that argument uh, very often, like the MSNBC argument. We just didn't because because we were talking to people who were nor- normal people. I mean, I, I find that that argument about the spoiler it yeah. is something that exists online in social media spaces or MSNBC, which is fine for the Democratic Party and the Republican Party for a degree, because that's who really is their donor base. That's who turns out to make sure the primaries go the way it goes, you know, that kind of thing. But the reality is, is that most people uh, were not concerned about that. And they were very enthusiastic for another option for something that would uh, be available to them that would represent their interests or in in some way rectify the situation we're in. Uh, I mean, people are really suffering. We just had the the latest uh, rental uh, numbers come out here and North Carolina, uh, year on year uh, across the state, 30% increase in rents. And in parts of North Carolina, it's 50%. Where where I live, it's it's been a 50% increase year on year for rent. And that's what people are concerned about. And they know that the same people that have been in power are going to do nothing about that. And they also know it's just not one issue. They know it's not just about rent. It's about because they're feeling it. So they're also getting pressured on health care and they're getting pressured on their wages and they're getting pressured, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have not really encountered you know, and I, I may have said this before, we were out, we were petitioning at our early primary voting places because our, our time petitioning overlap with our primary voting. And so even in the most partisan spaces, like I didn't want to go to that because I was like, oh, my God, I'm just going to run into these, get into arguments with people. And it's just going to be. And no, 
I don't think the five times I petitioned at a primary voting place, I don't think I ran into anybody who came up with the, you're going to ruin it for us and the GOP is going to win and we're all going to be under a fascist tyranny because of you. Like I didn't come, I mean, people who had literally three or four minutes before been casting a ballot for a Democratic or Republican primary uh, ballot were in the parking lot talking to us and signing our petition to recognize the Green Party as a part, because even in the most partisan spaces, there was this acknowledgement that, yes, the system is, is, is corrupt, it's undemocratic, and it's hurting us, and we need to do something. And, and that was, that's been our experience, this enthusiasm for uh, you know, more options, uh, to put it as simply as possible. Good. And let and let us not forget that ranked choice voting would help all of this very much as no. well. I mean, when I when I'm sitting here and listening to having so many choices, it's so much better sounding when I think we could have ranked choice voting. Um, and I and I wanted I wanted to ask you both what what is the remedy you seek? So you you both have like pending litigation. Like what what is going on? Like what is your recourse? What is your ideal recourse at this point going forward? Yeah. So uh, for us, and, and I'll, I'll even put some context because what we're asking for is is not a small thing. It's pretty big, but I want to lay the foundation that it, it has precedent. So in 2003, the, the federal courts ordered Connecticut to rewrite their ballot access laws because they were unconstitutional, because they were fr- restricted uh, free speech so much uh, that that they were had to rewrite their laws. Uh, they eased them a little bit, but the outcome has been the same. Still no primaries against sitting U.S. House members. Uh, and so this is the first uh, significant challenge that's happening to these laws. So we're challenging the constitutionality of these laws. We're uh, we're talking about it specifically in COVID, uh, saying that uh, given the fact that there's still an ongoing pandemic uh, and they required us to do everything that we normally would have to do that nobody has been able to overcome, uh, and then layer on top of that a pandemic that's killed a million Americans, that that's just insurmountable. Uh, so uh, we're, we're asking for us to be placed on the ballot because these laws are unconstitutional, especially during COVID. And I'll add that four of our staffers got a COVID petitioning in the last uh, 15 days, uh, one of them being a senior. And so uh, it's, it's, it's not only, uh, uh, you know, bad for ballot access, it's literally could have killed one of our volunteers uh, because he was at high risk. Uh, and so uh, hopefully the judge will look at that and say, yeah, this, this is, uh, you know, this can't be uh, the level of, of uh, kind of effort needed just to get on the ballot. This is unconstitutional. So we we get placed immediately on the ballot. The biggest thing that could happen, which is possible, is that they're forced to rewrite their laws again, that they're found to be unconstitutional uh, even outside of COVID. Uh, and so uh, that is a possibility. Um, but what we're asking for is just for the judge to at least rule that they're unconstitutional during COVID uh, because we believe that that's just you know a clear case uh, of a, a violation of our freedom of speech. So you can still like you still want to get on the ballot. When is the yeah. when is the election? So uh, the election was planned for August 9th. The judge has ruled uh, or has decided if we win this uh, case and if my rights and the, the voters' rights were violated, that our primary would push back to August 30th, uh, and we'll have essentially a special election where only myself and the incumbent will be placed on that ballot. Uh, and uh, and so that that's the remedy we're seeking, and we expect this to go to the state supreme court one way or another. Uh, if we win, we imagine that they won't let us win that is easily and they'll probably challenge uh, to the state Supreme Court. Yeah, I would think so. And Matthew, what are you I mean, what are you hoping like where are you guys hoping to get in terms of like remedy? Yeah, so we're in federal court. Uh, we go before the judge on August 8th, actually. Uh, we're in that whole process. We submitted our first motion and then we're waiting for the state and we're, we're we are um, 
we are uh, uh, our suit is against the state uh, board of elections. However, the Democratic Party has filed a motion to intervene. Uh, they want to be co-defendants. And they've also made it very clear. And this is the Democratic Party, the DSCC, not the local Democratic Party. Right. They've also made it very clear that um, they will do everything possible to keep us off the ballot. I mean, they, they, they said they more or less said that in their motion to intervene. That while our interests align with the states, ours go much further. And they, so even if they are certified, we will further challenge. I mean, they, they, they've, they're showing all their hands here, just as the state itself is showing its hand by continually referencing the August 15th deadline for ballot printing. So that's the that's the, the, the I think their final layer of defense is that ballot printing, where if they can delay us, if they can extend this, if they can just throw so much down that it just takes so long to get through it all. And then we get to the point where oh, ballots have to be printed because absentee ballots need to go out. That will be their way to keep us off. So we're seeking uh, the court. We're asking the court to immediately certify us because it's now getting close to almost 60 days since we filed our petitions with the state for certification. We surpassed our threshold by more than 2,100 valid signatures. We have never received a legal justification from the state as to why we were not provided with certification, as well as we've not received any evidence to um, support their allegations of fraud, wrongdoing, irregularities, all the things they keep saying that, uh, you know, some compliant press here is lapping up and redistributing. Um, you know, as well as there is no due evidence. We were never given, let alone seeing the evidence, we were never given a, an opportunity to defend ourselves. And then again, no legal justification for what they did. So this is what we're saying to the court. And, you know, so it's our first and 14th constitutional amendments as well as due process. We're asking to be certified and our nominees to be placed on the ballot. What I would like to see happen is uh, I would like to see eventually a process become underway that takes the power of the elections board out of the controlling political party and puts it into some nonpartisan uh, authority. I mean, we all know how that usually works and how uh, things evolve and those get overtaken as well. But at least to have the statement put forward that this was a corrupt overreach by the controlling political power to keep themselves in power. I think if we can get that acknowledgement and then we can move forward in a way that at least attempts some type of reform to get this out of the hand of the uh, political party in power, that will go a long way to helping us take, yeah, and I, want to, I don't want to say take back or rebuild because it's not like we ever had a good system anyway. You know, I mean, particularly, I mean, guys that look like me did for a long while, but most people in this country, it's not been good for. So, you know, I want to be careful with my language in the sense that we do have to take control of it. We do have to build it. We have to imagine it in a way that we want it to be so it serves our interests. And I hopefully this lawsuit can have the effect that it does a little bit to move us towards that goal. I want to ask you both about some uh, very important topic that's uh, recently come to light. And of course, corporate media will not cover it. So we'll cover it here. Uh, it looks like uh, an excess of over $40 million, uh, maybe more. Uh, from various Democratic Party establishment groups have been heavily funding uh, what you would call the Trump, uh, you know, type candidates in the GOP uh, to help get them over the finish line. How this is not a bigger scandal um, is, is beyond me. Uh, I think this is just akin to the fact that all of the paranoia is sort of created um, in a vacuum to just try to you know, the more hysterical people are, the more they can just keep, at least in theory, 
keep them under control. But, you know, at some point you have to show your hand. And what you're recognizing is that we're at a time where the country is trying to change. And a lot of people who have benefited from the country being a certain way for a long time, they're really like throwing their body on the railroad track to try to prevent it from happening. Your case is a perfect example of that. But when you read stories like this, you realize that so much of the hysteria that they create is is just a big fabrication. Our country doesn't have universal health care or living wage. We're at war constantly. You know, the planet's on fire. Uh, criminal justice is for profit. So is education. You know, the real problems that face us are things that usually unite most people. When we're faced with this prospect of, you know, the Trumps and the DeSantis's are going to take over. Yeah, well, you're helping that happen. You're you're encouraging that to happen with this idea that, well, we'll stay in power if we just put the crazies on the other side. I don't know, guys. I think that's a pretty uh, dangerous game to play. And I think it's uh, frankly abhorrent that they are doing it. But I can't say I'm surprised. Your thoughts. So, yeah, I don't know. If you no, go ahead, please. Uh, so I, I have not heard the news. So it's that $40 million are being spent to keep plus. Trump. Yeah, to keep Trump. Yeah, basically, Democratic Party groups are funding these Trump candidates to help them win their primary. So that's who the Democratic candidate has to face in the general election. Here so being, that despite the fact that they're all still like wallowing over the Hillary Trump thing, they're yeah. still employing the Pied Piper strategy. That's 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 what you're saying is happening. Yeah. Oh, well, this is a this is another form of the Pied Piper strategy at a more local, micro level. Well, yeah, hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent. It, yeah. it, it's it's really bad, right? Because some of the people that they've been boosting, like uh, Doug Mastriano in sure. Pennsylvania and Don Cox, who won in Maryland, in Maryland. Both of whom won their primaries. Correct. Uh, and received millions of dollars from the Democratic Party Governor Association. Um, I mean, these are people who are leaders in the whole Stop the Steal movement. These are people who were involved in January 6th. Uh, I mean, and, and what they advocate for goes beyond that. The, 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 uh, uh, the crazy uh, Christian nationalist misogynism, both of those, those two uh, embody. I mean, so it's just not that they're, they're, they're crooked and they want to overturn elections and stage coups and things like that. But what they want to put into place is uh, just a, 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 a unbelievably, uh, you know, it's handmaid's tale stuff. You know, I know we, we all keep using that as an example, but, you know, it's getting cliche, but cliches are true for a reason. And these people, this is what they're, they're trying. They want to see happen. And it's all about control. Right. It's all about having control over people, control over groups, control, you know, particularly over women, LGBTQIA, uh, people of color, whatever. It's about that control. And these are who the Democratic Party is boosting because they have this insane strategy. And it goes back exactly, Jen, to the Pied Piper strategy of 2016, that if we present the worst, if the Republicans present the worst candidate possible, then we will siphon off Republican voters from the center right because they won't go along with the crazies. Mm. And that's how and then screw the left. We don't need them. They're going to vote for us regardless. Well, it, well it, hey, they can either take the crumbs we're giving them or 
they can get the, what the Republicans offer. I mean, that's what the Democrats have been saying for decades now, right? Really ever since, uh, you know, at some point in the 80s. So, you know, you do, you have this where they're, they're pursuing this strategy that is just um, so reckless. You know, it's kind of, it reminds me of if people recall back, uh, Nixon and Kissinger had what's called the madman strategy, where we're going to scare the Soviets and the Chinese to death. You know, we're going to act out of control and reckless and crazy, and it's going to scare the Soviets and the Chinese to the negotiating tables because they don't know what we're going to do. And I mean, it, it's not the same thing, but it's like that type of reckless, um, really dangerous mindset that you're creating Frankenstein's monsters here that, you know, are uncontrollable. And certainly seeing what happened with Trump, what's occurred, and then the fact that Democrats are continuing to go with these policies of, yeah, putting millions of dollars into Republican primaries to make sure the worst and most dangerous, not the worst. It's not like these guys are, are just horrible people who just are, are going to be bumbling nincompoops, you know, who are going to be inept. No, these people are going to be very effective at what they want to do. And it's incredibly dangerous. And again, it goes, it, it, but it gets back to the whole idea of what we're talking about here, the, the overall corruption of the Democratic Party. They're not your friends. They will betray you in a heartbeat and they will do whatever is necessary to make sure they stay in power, even by doing something incredibly risky as making sure as people like Don Cox or Doug Mastriano uh, win their primaries. Which groups are doing this like out of just, you know, curiosity? You're like, who, who are, you know, funding these things? What groups are these? I'll have to look them up. Give me one second. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, I know. I know with Cox, it was a Democratic Governors Association. So, you know, similar to yeah. the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee or the Democratic right. Senatorial so they're, they're party arm. groups. They're party yeah. groups. They're yeah. not. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a policy that people sat around at a table or on a Zoom call, you know, or whatever, and made this decision from official levels of the mm-hmm. DNC, you know, in one of their arms and one of their 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 their, right. their you know, organisms. And yeah, no, it is. I mean, this is this is what they choose to do after seeing how horrible that decision was for our country by helping get Trump. Right. I mean, and the fact then that it wasn't like Trump. The the thing that's so mind boggling here is it wasn't like Trump then didn't do well in 2020. He got the second most votes ever. Right. I mean, so it wasn't even like, okay, we we got them to run this really terrible candidate. We lost because of the Electoral College and Susan Sarandon and everything else. Um, And then in 2020. Yeah, Joe Stein. And then in 2020, what we really crushed them, though, like we destroyed the Republican Party. And that wasn't the case. You know, I mean, it was, you know, he got the second most votes. And now in 2022, the Republicans are going to take both the House and the Senate, most likely, you know, and if the, God knows what Democrats are going to do in 2024, if they run Biden or they run Harris or Buttigieg or anything else, oh. you're going to end up with another you're going to end up with a Ron DeSantis or a Trump or whoever. Well, oh. that's the, those are the only two possibilities. Trump or DeSantis. Or the at, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Um, so it turns out that. uh Governor Pritzker, who is a potential candidate for president of the United States, I've heard him speak in person, um, and the Democratic Governors Association dropped 35 million alone on ads attempting to influence Illinois Republic, the Illinois Republican gubernatorial primary, more than any office is believed that has ever spent to meddle in another party's primary. Well, Mr. Pritzker, good luck running for president with that on your ass. Ain't going to work. Oof, man, that's messed up. That's- yeah, that, I mean, the, the, this is the, the first I'm hearing of it, but my my kind of uh, re- immediate reaction is, uh, one, you're playing with fire, like Matt said, 
Uh, I don't know why anyone would look at what happened with Trump and say, uh, I'd like to try that again. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's why not put all those resources and efforts to actually like Democrats that are really popular. I mean, there's this entire movement of like trust facts, trust science. And then, you know, you'll put up a poll that says Bernie is going to win in the presidential. And they're like, no, 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 that's not true. Um, You know, it's like we see time and time again, Medicare for all extremely popular. Uh, making sure raising the minimum wage, extremely popular. But there's such a resistance to those sets of facts uh, or, or that type of science, you know, polling science. Uh, and so it's really frustrating is, is uh, instead of trying to impact me, what's happening on the Republican side, put forward people and platforms that are going to win you the election, no matter who the Republicans put up. Uh, and I think that's a better use of, you know, uh, the Democratic intelligentsia's uh, time instead of trying to find maybe the worst Republican uh, because uh, I think what we saw is that when people feel like there's really no good option, they'll take the option that's sometimes the most uh, uh, kind of uh, fanatical end and that doesn't necessarily uh, help anyone. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 disturbing that that's that's the best plan and that's where they're putting millions of dollars uh, instead of electing really strong Democrats that have a lot of support from uh, people. Yeah. Let's not forget they also spend money supporting people like Henry Cuellar. Yeah. Um, they they spend money within their own party on very, you know, disgusting kind of types of people as well. So they yeah. spread that kind of stuff equally amongst people that don't support our civil liberties. Absolutely. The incumbent I'm challenging is has given thousands of dollars to Henry Cuellar and Dan Lipinski, who is the other uh, uh, really conservative Democrat that was unseated by Marie Newman. And so uh, and nobody knows about this in the district because he's never been challenged for 24 years. And so right. we're making sure to elevate that part of his uh, history and make sure uh, people who care a lot about reproductive rights or the ACA know that that these are the candidates he supported. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, it's all connected. All of this is connected. Yeah. Speaking with Maude Herezi running for the U.S. Congress in Connecticut's first district in the Democratic Party, as well as Matthew Ho, who is running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina on the Green Party ticket. You know, you brought up a really good point, Wad. You know, right now, everyone's thinking, you know, why would they do this? What is the purpose of doing this? And why don't they support, you know, better candidates? Because it's really simple. There's only one there's only one cog in this equation that makes any sense. And that, of course, is are you or are you not bought and paid for by corporate special interests? That's it. There really isn't anything else because all the signs point to it. They don't want universal health care because how about this for a little tidbit? 75% of the money spent on TV advertising for commercials in the United States is spent by the pharmaceutical industry. I watch it all the time. I find it very, I can't stand pharmaceutical advertising. I'm just saying, I'm so sick of it. What's even more amazing about pharmaceutical advertising is that everything that you'll see, especially on like football Sunday has always got a disclaimer at the bottom of, Okay, we'll fix this one problem, but you're going to have about a dozen other problems that are going to spruce up uh, as a result. No other country has this. No No other country has these ads like this. No one has. When Oprah, I guess, did her interview. Meghan um, Markle. Yeah. All the Brits were aghast at at what we do in our country. They're like, you guys have ads for drugs? Like, yeah, we do. And that, of course, you know, just speaks to what happens on Capitol Hill. Maude, you work there. Matt, I'm sure you have experience as well. Uh, You know, in the U.S. Senate, Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul are the only two senators who do not meet with corporate lobbyists. The other 98 do. And it's like you're already seeing that one significant problem in real time right there. 
which is, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, if you're, let's say, working for Senator Murphy, that he is taking a meeting and is automatically going to go ahead with what's going on. Senator Chris Murphy is not one of the most corporate Democrats. He's a fairly decent senator overall. But there's a lot of them out there on both sides that they're tasked with basically facilitating this corporate oligarchy that runs our country now. Only I feel like we're getting to a breaking point because they do have to do these no longer underhanded tactics, these overt tactics in broad daylight to say, yeah, we're going to cheat and that's it. And, you know, who's going to stop us? I think they're kind of daring this sort of uprising, if you will. And it's almost like a couple of you guys kind of have to be martyrs, if you will. You know, because when Jen ran for Congress, the local DEC, the unions, they did everything to make it seem like Jen wasn't running for Congress and that Wasserman Schultz must be protected at all costs. Case in point, Debbie happens to be one of the biggest money movers in the Democratic Party and essentially is the leader of the Democratic Party in the state of Florida. So they're going to move heaven and earth to keep things the way it is, even if it isn't, you know, even if it's not Democratic. I believe that because this is becoming so much more frequent and it's happening everywhere. Everyone thinking that, well, Debbie's an anomaly. Debbie's really bad, to be sure. But this is a systemic problem that is spruce, that it's, it's springing up everywhere, where whether you're running in the Democratic Party or you're running outside of the Democratic Party, the goal is to stop non-corporate candidates from succeeding and at any cost, at any cost. And I think that that's what you guys are going through right now. What do you think? If folks haven't seen the film on HBO, uh, I believe it's Draining the Swamp, where it profiles Matt Gates and Tom Massey, the Republicans. And, um, you know, one thing say about Gates and Massey, they have been outspoken about money. Uh, maybe not in all the ways I'd like them to be, but they have at least done that. I don't trust Matt Gates as far as I could throw him. I think yeah. he's completely full uh, of it. But I will, I will give Thomas Massey his due. He actually does keep his word on corporate money. And it, 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 what's instructive is it shows you what happens when Tom Massey gets summoned to the Republican National Committee headquarters and he's given his list of you have to call all these people and you have to raise this much money. You know, they show that they, they show how just how stark it is, how clear it is. And I, I worked on Capitol Hill for a number of years doing anti-war stuff. And, you know, the members I worked with uh, would tell me about this. You know, Walter, the late Walter Jones, Republican from North Carolina, uh, you know, he, he had this the way he told this story about his first day and being so excited there decades ago. And then just being given the you have to raise this amount of money every day. And it's only gone up, of course, since. And we know that committee assignments are determined by uh, how much money you raise, that there's a tier structure for the committees in Congress. So that if you want to be on the A tier, which would be, you know, uh, defense, energy, uh, health care, pharmaceuticals, that kind of thing, agriculture, probably whatever it is, uh, banking, you know, you have to bring in. X amount of money, B tier, a little less money, C tier, and then you get down to D tier, which I don't know what that is. Maybe you get the name post office or something like that. Like, you know, but it is, it's structured that way for a reason. We'd also see it too, in the sense of that, the way the money was just so prevalent everywhere. Uh, so again, I was up there doing anti-war work for years. And I can tell you that 
at the height of the Iraq and Afghan wars, when we had 250, 300,000 soldiers and contractors in Iraq and Afghanistan, there were about 10 people working full time against the wars in D.C. That's it. You know, the, 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 the groups will come in, you know, political uh, peace action will come in. They do their lobby days, friends committee. They do their stuff. But in terms of like how many people and you go and you meet with members or their staffs. And I remember uh, the staff, the, the military uh, advisor for Senator Bob Casey, you know, he explained very clearly that when the committees and the, the members got their briefings on the wars, seven out of 10 times those briefings did not come from the CIA or the Pentagon or the Department of State or the NSC. They came from think tanks, think tanks that were funded by the defense industry, right? So the people who were advising the members of Congress on an issue like war or the people who profit from the war. And that's just, you know, and that's the same for pharmaceuticals, for agriculture, for healthcare, for, you know, banking, whatever it is, that it's such a corrupted system we have that the money just is a cycle that continues to ensure that there's a reinforcement of whatever the money wants. And it is, it, 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 this is this is something I think most people understand. Uh, it, it's something that we're seeking, of course, to overturn, but it is, we are up against an edifice here that is uh, uh, massive, massive. Look, in North Carolina in 2020 Senate race, $300 million was spent. I mean, $300 million for a Senate race in North Carolina. And this year, I'm sure it'll be more. In, in other states, it'll be even greater than that. Yeah, no. And and like you said, Matt, I think most people now get it. Uh, it, it that's one of the central themes that we talk about throughout this campaign. And one of the biggest motivators that people have to, to uh, uh, voting against the incumbent is when we tell them that he's the fifth highest recipient of corporate money, uh, their eyes just roll. They're like, oh my God. And, and they don't need much uh, you know, explanation as to why that's important, why that affects them. Uh, if anything, they feel so disillusioned by how bad it's gotten that they're like, what's the point? Um, but usually I can convince them, just give me the vote and maybe I won't change the system. Uh, but at the very least, you're going to have a voice in there pushing back against this nonsense that's calling it out. Uh, it, it is you know, it is the tsunami that we're all facing as as citizens of this country is this corporate money that's just dominated. Uh, and it does feel at times overwhelming, like you win one seat, but you got 434 others that are just dominated by corporate money. So what do you do? Uh, but uh, I think that we, we got to start pushing back. And I think there's a growing cohort. I think it's maybe 80 members now in the U.S. House that have taken the, the non-corporate, no corporate money pledge. I think there's a handful in the Senate who have now taken that pledge. So there's like a growing cohort of people who, who are starting to acknowledge and, and at least put up some uh, sort of resistance to this corporate money, if not uh, enough uh, resistance. Uh, and so uh, I think we are getting to the point where hopefully there is a tipping point in Congress and uh, and there's enough members just uh, calling it out and, and, and beyond just calling it out, taking actual uh, kind of political stance uh, and saying that, no, I'm not going to vote for this appropriations bill if it's going to continue to fund a, a corrupt healthcare system that enriches health insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and lets everyone else uh, essentially uh, go bankrupt or, or not get the care they need. I'm not going to fund a defense industry that can't pass a dang audit, the only agency in the country, uh, and also the one with the most money. <laughs> it makes no sense. How is that the case? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm hopeful that we're really close to that tipping point where there's there's enough members and enough of them are willing to really just you know you know stick their neck out and and, uh, and fight for the American people uh, because I think the American people are there. I think the politicians who are elected uh, are are little. Uh, way too fearful to actually uh, put their neck uh, and, and challenge the corporate power that that uh, has really uh, uh, gripped our, our nation's capital for uh, for decades now. So. And let's, let us not forget the co-opting that has happened of what we say as 
left or progressive. When you mm. look at the fact that the Congressional Progressive Caucus has how many members? How many members are in the Congressional Progressive Caucus? Because I know that Chantel Brown is a member of the Congressional yeah. Progressive Caucus. And I actually believe that Nancy Pelosi might officially be a member. I, I forget. Yeah, but- I double checked. She was the founding member. She was the founding member, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no longer so like, a member. Clearly, that doesn't mean anything. Right. Like there's no that that doesn't mean anything. So there's no way for most people to really discern. And so we generally are of the opinion that either you do or do not or are or are not beholden to corporate special interests. And if you are, then you are automatically, as far as I'm concerned, not doing your job. So, you know, and it's it's really very basic. And I don't really care whether it's people on the left or the right. I really don't. I mean, if you're representing your community, then that's whatever that is. If they're conservative people, then that's what they should have representing them. You know, one of the things about that $300 million that was spent in the last Senate race in North Carolina is that um, Tom Tillis, the Republican who won, he spent $25 million. Cal Cunningham Law spent $50 million. And then the remaining $225 million was outside money. And yeah. so I see that more and more with, with, with these members of Congress where they, they say, well, you know, I don't accept corporate money, but all this outside money that's provided by corporations is working on their behalf. And they say, well, it's not part of my campaign. We're not coordinating with them, which we all know is complete BS. You know, I mean, so you see that um, where the system has because of Citizens United, as someone mentioned in the chat, you know, um, that because of, of that uh you know, Supreme Court decision, it's allowed for the system to create circumstances and the reality of its own making that allows for these member of Congresses to, to, to plead innocent, to say, no, I don't take corporate donations at the same time. I mean, I, I think a good example, uh, you know, how we happened up in Maryland last week with with Cox in the, the primary, but also too what happened to Donna Edwards in her primary, where she had uh, APAC funded uh, money, more than $7 million came into her race. Yeah. You know, and, and Donna Edwards is someone I've known for a while, actually. And uh, APAC has had her in her sights for a very long time. I remember having a conversation with her, uh, God, 10 years ago or so now, where um, she, they had come into her office and said, this is what we want you to put on your website about Israel and Palestine. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. Nothing goes on my website that I myself don't write. And that was it. Then she was a target. She ended up, you know, getting uh, losing everything else later on. And of course, now the seven million dollars that went into her race. We had the same thing happen here in North Carolina. A couple million dollars went into the first congressional district and uh, about a million or so dollars went into the fourth congressional district. All against both against progressive challengers. So Don Davis over Erica Smith and uh, Valerie Fushi over Anita Alam. And very clearly the same type of strategy, the same source of the money. And so they don't need uh, the Democrats don't need to accept directly the contributions because it's going to come from this uncoordinated effort by the corporations themselves. And so it's really insidious. Yeah, I was just thinking today, I think there should we need to start some sort of pack called like Jews against APAC. I was trying to think of like a way of like and definitely, Peter, we should talk about having a panel and talking about this and having like an all Jewish panel discussion about this, because as someone who's Jewish, I find it so abhorrent. I find them so disgusting and reprehensible. And I and I say this and my mother-in-law and her husband are huge into that. And it just the whole thing disgusts me to no end. Well, it's coming to it's coming to a breaking point now um, because obviously they they did a lot against Bernie. 
Um, but they're doing a lot right now against Andy Levin, who is yes. one of the true non-corporate progressives, maybe the only one in the entire state of Michigan. And they're trying desperately to get him out and basically put this milquetoast corporate Democrat. And of course, she's a woman. So they're going to use the whole, well, you know, we need to elect a woman to Congress crap. But the truth is, APAC is knee deep in this race. Um, you know, we put out, uh, you know, a tweet this morning, basically just acknowledging that, you know, we support Andy and his efforts. And I mean, the guy's a freaking rabbi, for God's sake. And he's saying, yeah, we got to do something about what's going on with, you know, the human rights violations in Israel against the Palestinian people. And of course, just putting up a solidarity uh, agreement with Andy leads to, I mean, let's face it, APAC obviously invests a hell of a lot of money in social media. They've got their trolls. They've got all these people that will jump on you the second you open your mouth. Uh, it's it's bad. It, it really is. And I try to explain to people that there's elements of anti-Semitism where you can see where it comes from and then you can't see where it comes from. But this is pretty clear that even if you're a Jew who says that I support Palestinians' rights to exist, when you start calling that Jew an anti-Semite or a self-loathing Jew or self-hating Jew, uh, that's where anti-Semitism stems from for a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't even think on those terms. When you make yourself out to be a bigger target as APAC does, which again, I'm still kind of confused as to what it's all about. I don't really follow that much of the whole Israel-Palestinian conflict what I can imagine what you may have to go through in, in Connecticut, especially in a district in Hartford where there is a substantial Jewish population. Um, you know, these types of things, uh, the wedge issues of our time very often are cloaked in this idea that we're really divided along these, um, you know, racial lines or religious lines or uh, sexual orientation lines. Anything not to focus on universal health care, living wage, Green New Deal, any of the issues that most people agree on is why these things come to light. This idea that Jen is an anti-Semite, it's amazing that's, that people say that. It's just incredible. I thought I was a self-loathing Jew. Am well, I you're, that too. you're that too. You're that too. Uh, but yeah, it's like if you, you shouldn't even acknowledge these people. The biggest problem though with the, with, with the pro-Israel side of politics is they have a shitload of money. And when you go up against that, it's very, very tough to hold it off. Do you know what their biggest, what, how it works is because their entire argument is fear-based and irrational sure. and they prey on everybody's fears and complete lack of reason. And it works very well, especially for the older Jewish community. And they, there is no reason or fact or anything that you're ever going to tell them that is going to change their mind. You, it, it just there's nothing. So it's it's really a generational thing. And, and I hate to say it, but <clears throat> certain people, as more and more people die off of a certain generation, I think we will make more and more progress in this regard. I hate to say that. But, I, you know, as someone who was raised in a very pro-Zionist Jewish kind of ghetto, I, I know of these people and facts are not, are not something that are going to, is going to change their minds. Just saying. 
I wait, think wait, wait, wait till they find out that the photo back there is of me and Hebron, uh, along with Palestinian and Jewish activists getting mm-hmm. shot at by the Israeli border police. Wait till that gets uh, yeah. you know, out there. But you know, I mean, this whole argument, this whole thing about Israel. I went into college having read like Herman Woke's uh, The Promise or whatever book that was, and a couple other you know things. I had this very uh, uh, romantic vision of Israel, and I right. was disabused of that by my Jewish friends in college. They're the ones who were like, no, no, I tell you what, it's not like that at all. And, you know, I mean, so I, I think it is, there's a generational thing that you had the, ro- the, the, the um, I don't want to use romance, but the, exper- the post-World War II experience, uh, and now it's being met with the reality of whatever the intentions of that were. And there were a lot of bad intentions with that as well, yeah. you know, the Nakba and everything else. But the, the, this, what the current generations see and I, I come back, I keep coming back to independent media and people like you guys talking about this, showing things. You know, when you're in Israel and Palestine, you meet Europeans and they say, oh, yeah, this type, we understand what's happening here because it's on our news. We talk about it here. Of course, I mean, we know what the, the studies tell us. Anytime there's something about Palestine or Israel, there's 25 Israel, pro-Israel people on CNN and one Palestinian person. Right. You know, I mean, like so. But with independent media. And the fact that less and less people are watching that crap. And anytime we talk about that, any of that stuff, CNN, I'm always reminded the best decision I've made in the last eight years of my life was to get rid of cable television. That's the best decision I've made in eight years, you know. But, you know, I mean, as more and more people gravitate away from that and are able to see uh, alternative sources that prevent, present a, a truth that they're not being told, I, I think that's what we make a difference. But I, I will say about the money, it, 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 look, we've got a, a monopoly capitalist system here. And, you know, the idea of that is that there is such money concentrated in certain industries that whatever you're talking about, like one of the things I want to take on here in North Carolina is the hog farms, because the hog farms back both the Democrats and Republican, and it's killing our state. Maybe it's not as bad as Iowa, say, but it's killing our state, killing our rivers. I mean, the slaughterhouses are completely immoral and a crime and everything else. But, you know, the idea, though, that there's so much money behind those slaughterhouses, and that's the same for anything else. You know, we're, you know, well, I was talking about the pharmaceuticals and everything else and whatever, you, you know, these industries, the money is just so powerful. Uh, and that's what we have to figure out a way to pull down. Yeah, it's I feel like sometimes it feels like I'm Sisyphus and it's, it's really hard because it's as people that are I consider myself to be somewhat left. You know, I, I hate to like label, but like somewhat leftist. And for people like us, it's like we can't even get it. We, we're in line to battle Republicans against the Democrats. Like it, it's this it, it feels like a Sisyphean task. Like we have to get through them to even get to, you know, pose this is a better option because we're being kept down by what would be considered our own people. And I know not in your case, Matthew, I know you're not party. And I, it's just it's extremely frustrating. And uh yeah, I, I feel for both of you guys, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm i somebody who's uh, an eternal optimist. So w- while it's really frustrating, I have to see like light at the end of the tunnel or else I'll become uh, <laughs> you, you know, so nihilistic that there's no point of even trying. So yeah. while it is really bad, uh, I, I'm hopeful that with the rise of a new generation, uh, I think probably one of the most progressive generations, one of the most tolerant, one of the most idealistic generations ever in American history, uh, with them coming to power or, or rising in number, uh, and with maybe older people uh, slowly moving out of the electorate, uh, then I, I think that there's a real opportunity to seize. Uh, the question is, 
do we uh, do we you know uh, leverage this opportunity quick enough before climate change becomes an irreversible catastrophe that uh, ruins the way civilization has been structured for centuries now, uh, or you know is it too late? That that's the real question to me because I see an inevitable kind of change coming uh, to our country uh, with a more tolerant generation, uh, but it's just uh, you know how quickly can we get there? Uh, and and the question of you know will there be an America left to, to kind of like you know potentially. Uh, try to fight for uh, right now. I think we're really fighting for it, kind of the direction of our country, and uh, you know, neutral, nuclear war uh, on the on the potential horizon. There's a lot of big challenges, but I feel confident that hopefully we can overcome them or survive for the next uh, you know ten years. And I, I think that there's a lot of exciting uh, kind of new blood uh, looking looking to rise uh, into into power and into leadership. So that that's what keeps me going personally. I actually feel somewhat optimistic, except for anybody south of Lake Okeechobee. You guys are screwed. But I, I do feel somewhat optimistic that there will be enough people moving to higher ground, um, that there will be an opportunity for there to be some something. Like, I do. I feel like I'm not completely fatalistic, uh, but there are certain places that I think uh, we need to look at the writing on the wall, environmentally speaking. Yeah. I think the importance of having these conversations are very key. Um, you know, we may not have the biggest audience, but word travels fast. And obviously, uh, you know, Matt, you were with, uh, our friend, Andrew Yang, uh, earlier today, which was great. Um, and I'm glad to see that he's helping spread the word. Um, you know, for those people who have a problem with Andrew, just remember, we all have a role to play, uh, whether within the party or outside the party. And the more we build these relationships, the more we recognize each other, we recognize that whether you're in Connecticut, North Carolina or Florida, we have the opportunity to continue to advance this conversation because it needs to be advanced. I think what you guys are doing is extremely important, somewhat heroic in its own respect. Um, I think the fact that they are trying to martyr you, if you will, only helps the cause by them preventing you from participating in the democratic process, it raises enough eyebrows with enough people for them to say, okay, this is not cool. We need to have, uh, you know, another option. The whole idea of the Trump DeSantis boogeyman is only going to work for so long. We obviously highlighted earlier the tactics that the democratic establishment proxies, if you will, are employing in order to facilitate, you know, that desired result. And I think as long as we're, bringing light to what's really going on, even though things look dire now, I'm with you, Maud. I think there is a reason to be optimistic because when the establishment has to work this hard to stop us, it means they're running out of options. That's what it means. Everyone thinks, oh my God, it's so bad. Well, the truth is if you can see it in broad daylight, that means they're running scared. That's what it means. And if we stay with it, and don't listen to all of the naysayers out there who say F this and F that. You know, Matt, I made it very clear. I am not a fan of the Green Party in any way, shape or form, but I am a fan of you. And that to me is more important than anything else, because a great candidate can win the day. The two most influential people of the last, frankly, decade, if we're being honest, in politics are Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, and they do not identify with a political party. So it really speaks to sort of the mindset of where everything is right now. And I think as long as you guys keep doing what you're doing and we will continue to amplify your message, we hope that you will continue this fight and we know for sure that there will be a breakthrough. So with that said, 
What do you got? What is the current status of your current circumstance? What are you working on? How can people get involved if they would like to get involved? Yeah. So uh, we, we wrapped up our lawsuit last week. On Friday, we submitted our briefs. Uh, we were just waiting. Uh, the judge said that he'll get back to us by the end of the month, which probably means uh, by Friday at 5 p.m. Uh, so that's when we'll find out uh, if if he'll let us onto the ballot or will rule against us. So th- this is a huge week for us, to be quite honest. Um, and uh, people who want to help out, uh, yeah. one of the things that you can do is, or the easiest thing is, is to go on our website, follow us on social media, because that's the best way of keeping up to date as to what's happening. Uh, if we do challenge this in the state Supreme Court, we want to have as many people there. Uh, one of the arguments the state has constantly made is that Wad is not able to get on the ballot because he doesn't have enough support. Uh, and it's so uh, we, we want to make it as ironic as possible. Uh, we want to have judges looking at a courtroom's full of support, which we've done for the first couple of trials. Uh, so that's like a small thing that people can do if they follow us on social media and live nearby. Um, yeah. They can chip in a couple bucks. This lawsuit has cost us over $50,000 so far. Uh, we have fantastic lawyers, but they don't come uh, uh, cheap. I mean, they have families to feed and law firms to run, and, and they cost a lot of money. And so, uh, the lawyers. Yeah, good lawyers cost money, and and they're progressive, and they're giving us discounts, but still, they cost a whole lot of money. Uh, so, what, what's the website? It's herezi.com, My last name H R E Z I dot com, and I, I put it into the, my name through. So it's been kind of cast, I believe, throughout this live stream. So that's the best way. Awesome. Uh, R E. Oh, R E. Yeah. I even knew that. <laughs> I knew that. No, no worries. No worries. com. It's counter, you know what it is? It's counter Western intuitive. You know what I mean? Like it's counter Latin English intuitive is is what it is. It's also the fact that my parents came to this country speaking no English and then wrote down a name. (laughs) And so, uh, uh, I mean, they knew it in Arabic. They just had to figure out how to put it into English at that point, essentially. So uh, it's, it's, it's like a running joke from, you know, Middle Eastern immigrants who came here because my dad wrote it one way and he didn't coordinate with his brother who came a couple of years later. And so a lot of my family, we all have different spelling of our last names uh, because none of them coordinated. There was no cell phones to say, how did you write your name uh, when they got to the U.S.? So I I don't give people any any, uh, trouble about misspelling it because honestly, my parents just kind of (laughs) did the best they could speaking no English to try to figure it out. Okay. Yeah. Matthew, help. Yeah, uh, that's funny because my my grandfather's family, when they came from Germany, um, name was different as well. You know, yes. so it's common a common common story in the U.S., right? Yeah. Um, you know, I want to say, well, first of all, Peter, thank you for that. Uh, the words of support, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, whether it's through the Green Party or some other vehicle, we have to build this party on the left that has to tie into a larger mass movement. You know, and um, I, again, I want to make the pitch. I mean, first of all, I'll go back to the question about optimism. I just had dinner with my guy kids. They're seven years old. Uh, it's not even a question for me about optimism or negative. Or, or, or it, it, there's no alternative. This is what we have to do. I mean, they're seven years old. So when we were talking about the possibility of plus two, plus two and a half, plus three C in terms of climate and what that will do in terms of the uh, uh, ecological breakdown. When I say ecological breakdown, I'm talking everything, nature, societal, everything, the breakdown that will occur, they will be living that and they will have children of their own. And what, uh, we can't let that happen. I mean, it, it, we say that, but that's the reality. We have to look at these kids and understand that if we don't do this, they are going to suffer. Um, but you know, the idea I keep coming back to is, is this idea that of information 
that we have to be able to share information. We talked about this a little bit brief, briefly before, but you know, this, this idea that you guys are kind of the nucleus for this. We have technology now that didn't exist 10 years ago, right? I mean, we couldn't have done this five years ago. We couldn't have done this, right? It just, it wouldn't have worked that well. StreamYard wasn't around. I don't even know if it was around five years ago, but if we tried to do this on Zoom five years ago, it wouldn't have been good, you know? And so what we have with the technology in order to, to get around the, the corporate control of media is something that, you know, didn't even occur to us uh, a handful of years ago. So I think we have this opportunity in terms of the information communications media space to really do something with a movement here that has not been understood before. And, and so I want to, you know, please support me, Matthew Hofer Senate. Dot org. Uh, we're in a lawsuit as well. We need the money. Maude said it very well. It's expensive, you know, and if you believe in what we're doing, please support me. Please support Maude because, you know, we are up against the Leviathan here. We yeah. are in real David versus Goliath fights. In our case, we actually have two Goliaths. We have both the DSCC and the state of North Carolina we're fighting, right? But uh, also, too, please support independent media like these guys here. Because they are the nucleus around which all the things we want to do, political parties, labor organizing, mutual aid, uh, direct action, all those different actions that we have to do on the left to bring about this change that we're so we're desperate for. It needs that modal in the middle. It needs that, that, that centerpiece that everything revolves around. And that's communication. That's what they do. So please support them as well. Thank you. Yes. I appreciate and, that. And we thank you, Jack, for the donation, by the way. I did. Yeah. yeah. I saw that. I, I do like to sort of fancy myself like somebody who likes to just build this web that I'm trying to build and connect people with each other that, you know, anytime I make some sort of like love connection between people on the show and then they then form more of a coalition and more, it's so that's how this works. That's, I feel like that's, that's our purpose. Yeah. And we certainly hope you guys enjoyed meeting each other. Obviously um, it's obviously great to, you know, bring you together because you're both going through the same thing in a different capacity, but it's all relevant to what's being done right now. We thank you both very much for coming on the show this evening. Maude Herezi, running for the U.S. Congress in Connecticut's first congressional district with the Democratic Party. Matthew Ho, running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina on the Green Party ticket. We're all fighting for a non-corporate future that we desperately need. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on this evening. Thank you, guys. Hey, thank thank you you both. So a conversation that I think was very productive and, you know, one where, you know, you realize that we're just really trying to make the world a better place to live. And there's no excuse for the activities uh, that they're, you know, that the establishment is employing. You know, that to me is really what it's all about. The hardest part about it, the hardest part about all of this it isn't so much the establishment doing what they do because the people with the money and the people in charge are always going to do everything they can to maintain that power structure. That's, that's what we expect, right? The worst part about it are all of their followers and minions on either side of anything that just go along with it when they don't even benefit from it. That's the worst part. Like I get the people in charge wanting to keep their power positions. I get Debbie wanting to sit there for eternity. I understand that. Right. That's not the part that that I find uh, like frustrating. It's all the people that are willing to back that up despite 
all facts in their face that this is a problematic problem, like that we're dealing with in a democracy. Like they don't care. Like they're just going with it. I was speaking with, I was speaking with one of our friends when I was at that event in, uh, in Davie a couple of weeks ago. And when I brought up the fact that Debbie commits insider trading fraud, which she does, <laughs> you know, it's like they don't want to hear it. Nope. But the good news is they really are a small minority um, when it comes to politics. They just so happen to be at the levers of power and they have access to where all of the super voters are. That but, and we have closed primaries. Correct. That matters too. But <laughs> if you correct. have, which is why you need a robust operation. Uh, <laughs> all right, Scott, I'll give you that one. That's fun. Uh, I think ultimately the um, the reason why you have I to have, have no interest in the stock market whatsoever. None. No, I think anybody who knows the stock market at this point knows that it's just a crock. It's not real. It's well, it's real for rich people. Yeah, it's no, I agree. With them. But in terms of it actually being a tool for the average person to invest in something that they really believe in, when you know about all the pump and dump schemes, the type yeah. of, you know, stock manipulation tactics that one can do. I mean, the second a company is publicly traded, it's it's open season. You know, the reality is when you get bought out, that's all anybody's really thinking about in business. Once it's publicly traded, they're like, oh, I cashed in. And then sometimes, you, you know, the fact that you have stock buybacks, the system is so thoroughly corrupted. And the fact is, Debbie, it's always so much more interesting. The fact that Debbie plays the Jew card so hard and yet she acts like a Nazi half the time where it's like plausible deniability about everything. Well, just following orders. I mean, everybody else is doing it. So I'm naturally it isn't her as much as it's her people around her and our local party people, the lo- local sycophants. They're the ones that you say to her, they say to them, you realize she's taken money from these people and she's voted this way. Oh, that's just how it is. They all have to take the bad money. That's just how it no, is. No, I mean, again, like I said, I think, um, and I have to point out that one of the Zionists that decided to troll you today because of the post, because, you know, we never read. I know you don't. I, I do. I mean, I don't respond to them. There's no point. Um, but one of the people that responded basically thought that it was trolling to go after you because you lost to Debbie. And I'm thinking this is not an own I don't know why you think that this is like something that you want to brag about. And thankfully, most people were like, they, they went right after her and was like. Is it anyone I, that we know? Not that I care, but. No, no okay. just another no, person who plasters. They were just another person, just another person who plasters the Star of David all over their profile. And, but you know, was she trolling because we said something about uh, APAC? What did you say no, that got her all in a bunch? No, because of your support for Andy Levin. That <laughs> literally threw her into a tizzy. One Jew supporting another Jew is somehow an anti-Semite. Make that make sense. Because we actually believe that Palestinians have human rights. A threat to human rights violations anywhere is a threat to it everywhere. And how people still don't get that is You know, I I have, you know, look, this is a problem for us. It really is. I have a lot of concerns 
I have a lot of concerns. And the thing is, and people, I'd like to posit this to people because it's really important, I think, to think about these things, like almost from like an anthropological standpoint. And I want people to think about this idea of how can you have an ethnic state without an ethnic cleanse? And in seriousness, unless, of course, you do have a state where there really is only one type of people that just miraculously, you know, spontaneously combust there and they create their own little ethno state because there's nobody else there. But in the real world, in order to have an ethnic state, it kind of it requires an ethnic cleanse. And I would just really like people to sort of just think about that, like just marinate on that a little bit. That's all. Yeah. I'm that's, all, people that's, all I'm, that's all I'm saying. And I don't think enough people do. I think enough people look at it and just, and again, there is a reason for hopelessness. And I understand, um, you know, there's not a perfect way to run a campaign. Um, you know, look, we love Nina Turner. Uh, and she absolutely should have won in August, 1000%. That's on her. That is on her. That is on her and the campaign and how the money was spent. And ill-prepared to handle what was necessary. There's a lot of layers that are to it. But to the people that were constantly trying to goad her and telling her, you know, come to Columbus and be at our March for Medicare for All rally, the lady spent like a half a million dollars on a TV ad specifically saying, I support Medicare for All. It's like there is this nihilistic bend within the political activist community where they do not care about success. They care about, I, I don't know, what, what is it that they care about exactly? You know, what, Scott? you know what, Scott? I agree. And it's a problem. Yeah. And it is not without our noticing. Hey, so. look, there was a candidate who ran for office that we know that was part of Jen Slate, who ran a second time and made a lot of very questionable decisions and basically got the same exact result that she got the first time, which means that you actually did a lot worse. The candidate deserves blame, no question. But you have to also deal with this heaping pile of garbage that you have to deal with constantly. Look, there's no avoiding it. I mean, ultimately you do support Israel, but you support Palestinian people. And this is honestly at this point, if somebody hears some good proposals, and I really haven't. So I'm actually not sure what I what I feel right now about it. I, I would need to hear some valid proposals and somebody making some blanket two-state solution comment to appease people. That's just that shit's not working anymore. I'm not really sure that that's necessarily what's going to appease people. I just think that. The whole issue of Israel is a very volatile wedge issue that they want you to basically say that Israel can do no wrong. And if that means that Palestinians are getting killed, it's because they're trying to kill Israel, Israelis. And that's the danger in that particular issue. And for those of you who want Jen to run again, and I say this to you, Jen, um, know, know your territory. I do. And I, and I'm, I choose my words very carefully and I, I'm very cognizant of this situation and it's very heartbreaking to me. One thing we should be thankful for is that thankfully not a lot of them happen to live in this particular district, at least not anymore. You know, a significant chunk of them got cut out. Uh, 
as a result of the redistricting. Um, and that I think is, look, it is, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to say something I don't mean or whatever. And, and I'm very as careful as I can be about it, but it's very frustrating. And I, I really do like the idea of us having some sort of like Jews against APAC panel or something, because you know what the problem is about APAC? And this is the real, this is really what it comes down to. I wouldn't care what religion they are, what organization they are, what their political beliefs are. What it really comes down to is they're bullies. They're bullies. Sure. And I, well, I don't like bullies. And I don't like bullies bullying people in some way that makes it as if it's somehow representative of Jews. I, uh, I, I don't know but they're bullies and I'm sick and tired of their crap and they do not represent the majority of Jews by a long shot. And, and I think people need, need to know that. So I want to start Jews against APAC. You might raise a lot of money doing that. I'm just so sick of them. I'm so sick of bullying. I'm so sick of them coming in and attacking people based on their single issue to the, to the complete detriment of everybody that lives in those districts. And yeah. I, you know, it, it's they're bullies, and I'm just I'm sick and tired of their crap. Them and the Democratic majority for Israel, they're another one, and they give Jews a bad name, and I'm just I'm tired of their crap. I just want to call that out, and I, I'd like to think about who we can gather together. I mean, I already know some people like that we could call Jews against APAC, but I'm sick of their well, crap. Uh, you know, Andy Levin obviously would be a good person to talk to, but unfortunately, he's knee deep in his campaign right now. Yeah, right and now. I do think that that conversation um, can happen. Um, I think you should reach out to that rabbi that reached out to you about how, helping Andy. Uh, I think that that could potentially be um, a place. Yeah, and- I don't know what they're wanting me to do, though. You kind of send me things like I, I'm not exactly I sure. Know. I have to follow the out, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think that there's definitely, um, you know. I think that that uh, I think that that's a big deal. I, I think that this well, is. A- I, I want to do that, and and I there's certain media people that I think would form a very good kind of coalition. You know, even if it's like you know independent media Jews against APAC, I don't know, but well, you've got Jordan Sheraton and David Dole, so you could start there. And I kind of want to talk. They, to got, I kind of want to talk to Max. I want to have Max on. I do. Um, that I might was be an interesting conversation. What? That might be an interesting conversation. Well, I, I was watching Hum um, with RJ Escal the other day, and I oh. always love. Uh, it was I was watching it live. This interview, him and Max. You have his phone number, right? Yeah, and Max. and the thing about and the thing about Max is, I know that some people find that very him very politically charged, and and that's neither here nor there. And I say this as someone to anybody who has any respect for my opinion on things. He is one of the smartest people. I've met like just in my life, like he's one of the smartest people that I've met. So for, for anybody to discount that is just irresponsible and ignorant, whether or not you agree or don't agree. Um, so yeah, I'd love to have, I'd love to have him on about, and maybe, maybe about something like this, maybe about, you know, that, because I spoke with him about that very briefly when I met him, when he was down here. Maybe, uh, uh, let's see what Mario put in the chat. Maybe message Katie. See if she. Yeah, here. no, no, no. I would already include. I would invite. Kate. Yeah, I mean, there's certain people for sure that I know are, are definitely tribe that are easy to pick. But 
All right. Well, I yeah. think that that is uh, all right. Well, we should work on that. See yeah, we because do. we need to. T- I mean, this this is getting ridiculous already. No, it's getting now. Now it's really getting out of hand because they're they're like in some cases they're tossing like six million dollars like into races. Like it's unbelievable what they're yes. doing. They're and- buying. They're screwing the entire city of Cleveland because yeah. because of their position on Israel. And now that they're so emboldened, you saw the money they threw at Nina Turner. Wait till you see what the final tally is going to be against Rashida Tlaib. That's going to be bad. This, and they may get her. Sure. And they I may get Rashida out of Congress. Well, you know, that the negative advertising, unfortunately, is very effective. And I have a lot of concerns myself because we will definitely be at like the top of their list. Well, again, thankfully, um, it just so happens that if you were to run again, you would be running against the Wicked Witch of the West. And that just makes it, um, it will make them look bad. And especially if it's a Jewish organization doing it on behalf of a Jew against another Jew. They're doing that now against, that's what they're doing. Yeah, but Andy Levin is running against Haley Stevens and it's not the same. Haley Stevens is not, um, uh, you know, she's not Debbie. Debbie is in a league of her own. She's but a APAC loves Debbie. They do. They do. And I have no de- listen, if you raised a million, two million, oh yeah, they'll they'll give her whatever she wants. Well, so, right. This is why I like the idea of having this pack that's an anti-APAC pack. Like every time they give somebody money, I would love there to be a pack that, that counters it. This is also another thing about like the whole book and, you know, what we talked about and why we have to keep working on it, because the truth is something as simple as how you spend your money in the campaign. Like you have to live hand to mouth, even if you have a lot of money, basically up until the final quarter. In the last three months of the campaign, that's when you that's when you start to spend. That's when you start to really boost, um, you know, the money, basically like a month and a half, two months before you know, early voting begins before mail-in ballots go out. And then it's really just a race to the finish line, making sure that you have a TV advertising. It's basically like prep stage. You know, you have everything in turn. That's why when they talk about, you see, people forget it's like cash on hand. Well, you could have raised X amount of dollars and you've spent it, but if you don't have cash on hand, then what do you have? You know, you need probably a good, I don't know, half a million dollars for the last three months of the election to just spend on what you need. You'll have a lot of volunteers, but you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's just something so, you know, basic, but you know, like we talked about, not a lot of people really understand how these things work or what needs to be done. But yeah, I have no doubt that if you ran against Debbie again, that APAC will definitely get behind her. Yeah. This this time they would. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. Uh, Again, um, Let's dial it up to a 25, you know, and again, I don't want to downplay what happens when anyone sees a Nazi flag flying like it did in Tampa over the weekend. And a couple of people were holding like a Ron or DeSantis country flag and a Southern pride flag. Look, if there were 70 people there, all right. It's not a good look. If 700 pe- people were there, like they would be marching in Skokie, that would be a problem. There were maybe seven people that were there. 
holding right. flags, right. making it seem like it was the worst thing that they had ever seen in their lives. You want to say that they feel more emboldened? The guy who was holding the Nazi flag was a very old, bearded white guy. And there are so many more pressing issues that we have to deal with. And if you think that this is how you're going to go after DeSantis and that's how you're going to get him because he doesn't get on the horn and say, I condemn this activity. It's like even having to dignify the fringe Looney Tunes that are out there. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. We know what we're fighting for and we know that we've got a tough hill to climb. We don't know what's on the docket yet for Wednesday. I'm going to get on that. Um, But yeah, let's definitely start working on that panel. And so for those of you who are here, and we appreciate you all who do come here, you know that we are a channel that really values your support. So if you're so inclined and you haven't done so yet, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change and become a member. $5 a month, $10 a month, $25 a month. But your support allows us to continue building our network here in South Florida. Um, and also here because all of I've been spending my time handing out homeless care packs since I've been here. So really, it goes a long way anywhere. Good Samaritan. But yes, if you guys would be so inclined, we very much would appreciate your support. It does go a long way. And we hope you enjoyed the conversation this evening. I think these panels are very important and very effective. They may not be sexy and we're not doing any kind of, uh, you know, mainstream topic of conversation, although I will say that the thing with APAC was kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, you know. That's yeah. a title. That's a title. Jews against APAC. Jews against APAC. Jews mm. against APAC. And I, I have some people that I will reach out to and do, but this is something that I'd really think I'd rather wait until I'm like back and settled. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And spend some time and spend some time doing it right. Okay. So that'll have to happen post August 14th. Or do the cash app. Thank yes, you. Thank you TM Martin for a donation. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. We appreciate all of you guys. You've all done a really great job. We're small but mighty, but the word gets around. We'll come up with some we'll fancy. We'll have something stuff. fun for Wednesday. We'll, we, we'll come up with something good. We usually do. We haven't decided yet if it'll be afternoon or evening, but you'll all be surprised. I, uh, I will be uh, leaving on Thursday. Uh, so I will be live streaming from New Jersey on Monday and Wednesday next week. And Jen, when are you coming back? See, I'm not going to I'm not live streaming on Monday because I'm probably going to be driving that day. And I don't want to feel like stressed from Georgia, stressed out to get home in time to do show. So well, that's we'll what I have to do. But I'll we'll definitely see. be in the studio on um, the third and then you'll be back. All right. Well, maybe we'll do a show on Tuesday and Wednesday or maybe we'll have a day off. We'll see. Right, that's what I'm saying. We have to talk about it. Don't schedule anybody yet. Fair enough. In the meantime. Thank you, guys. Tim, you've been a fantastic supporter. We really appreciate you. We yeah. really appreciate all of you guys. Roger sure. Meadows is always stepping in with a nice contribution. It's helpful. It, it really is. is. It's it really helpful. Is. We're, it you know, even the little bit that we're able to, you know, pay to um, the young kid who's helping us on TikTok to promote our brand. Like, I, you know, a lot of people volunteer and, and help us for free, but it is nice to be able to pay some people 
um, for their work. You know, so I do, I very much appreciate anybody who's helping us because we're just trying to, anything that doesn't go towards building our brand goes towards helping the local community. Um, and it's, it's, I really appreciate it. We appreciate you guys very much. Have a great evening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.